Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go in to the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We always ask you to please download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just Frontline with Joe and Joe. And please share the app information with your friends. And if you like what Joe and I do, we have our social media at the Frontline TV on YouTube, the Frontline TV. If you like what we do, please like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Alexander Shugel. And we are going to be talking about Catholicism, pure and simple. Joe, I don't think it gets any better of a topic than that. Catholicism, pure and simple. We got Joe Alexander on this show. We always say there's, there's so many camps and tribes in the Catholic Church. We're going to be talking about Catholicism, pure and simple. That's it, okay? And you're doing a lot out there, a lot of people out there, uh, because Alexander became very well known around the world just a couple of years ago, even uh, um, before, you know, uh, and we're going to, you know, get into that. But just in case you have not heard of Alexander, he is an Austrian conservative political and traditional Catholic activist. He is the founder of St. Boniface Institute, which he founded in 2019, whose goal is to defend the traditional Catholic faith whenever and wherever necessary. Alexander Shugel, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe, brother. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. With that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Alexander, we always start out with a prayer to Our Lady in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, before you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Alexander, we have a few mutual friends, actually more than a few, uh, one of which is uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. He's been on the show a number of times. Um, and in doing research for the interview, I saw that he uh, presided over your wedding. Um, yes. Could you please tell us about your relationship with the good bishop? I think he is a very clear and important voice in our church today. Yes, he absolutely is. Um, I, I founded an organization. I was part of founding an organization to defend the family and especially traditional marriage and especially um, fight against the so-called gender ideology in Germany. 2014. And when we founded this, a few years later, we decided to organize, um, and it's not, it was not organized by this organization, but more or less by the same circle. We said we have to do some youth academy, like a program for young people in order to come together and to, you know, have good catechesis, but also learn about the Catholic um, political fight going on right now. And uh, when we invited His Excellency, 
Bishop Schneider to join us for one of those academies. He actually uh, was in Germany at this time and told us, yes, he can actually do it, he can make it. So he came and gave a wonderful talk, wonderful talk uh, to this huge group of young German and Austrian Catholics. And at the end of the, the talk, we had a very long and, uh, discussion with him and he gave us a, bit, a little bit of the background story of his life. And so that's when I, I got closer to him and then I, uh, I told him that I'm now engaged and so on and told him that my wife and me really, really um, are very big fans of what he's doing and asked him for spiritual guidance. And he said, well, come to Kazakhstan. So my, my back then not wife, but fiancé and me uh, flew to Kazakhstan to have uh, a wedding preparation there, actually. So uh, Bishop uh, uh, Schneider hosted us and we had a full week where we visited the Catholic sites of Kazakhstan. And at the end, uh, we asked him if he would um, be so kind as to give us the privilege of, of presiding over our marriage. And he said he would kindly do so. Came to Austria. We had a wonderful wedding. And, and, and since already the Kazakhstan times, uh, we are really good friends. I'm very happy to know him. Yeah, he, um, he, you know, as Joe said, he was on our show a couple of times. He's so gracious with his time. Yeah. Um, just a very humble man. But as Joe said, the key word there, Alexander Shugel, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, is clarity. That's he it. speaks clearly. That's and, it. That's yeah. And with charity. Go ahead, Alexander. That's the reason why we invited him back then. You know, he you know how he grew up and how he was he was um the first years in his life experiencing tyranny in a way different way than all of us experienced it. And um, the only answer he found which actually managed to guide him through his whole life, his whole family, through their whole life, etc., was obviously the, the faith. And if we talk about the faith, there is no such thing as a strong, uh, there's no such thing as more faith or less faith. If you talk about the church, it's that's one church, it's one truth, it's one teaching. You and your relationship to it can be stronger or weaker. That's totally okay, and that's part of our human suffering because of original sin that we sometimes are stupid enough to reject the faith. But the church itself is 100% clear. So whenever he talks, and that also was the reason why I um, became a good friend with him back then, he does not hold back but just explains everything. And as the church um, is obviously, was obviously founded and created in the love of God and God's love is perfect, everything the church teaches is full of charity and full of love. So whenever Bishop Schneider th therefore teaches the teaching of the church and just um, um, uh, tells us about our Lord and Savior and the Holy Trinity and so on, obviously it is a loving way of doing it. Mm. I agree with you 100%. And, and yeah. I'll be honest with you. I think what we're, and we can get into it now. I mean, I think what we're seeing is the church is not supposed to be moved by the world. The church is supposed to move the world. You see, and in order to do that, you have to be standing firmly in your position. Yeah. Like, but with love, but to say it clearly, you see, that's what I think we're, we're missing here and what we're seeing across the universal church, particularly in the West. I think like this idea of somehow it's it's a, a good way to reach a hand to someone. It doesn't. And, and, and Alexander, I'll be honest, we talk to a lot of people. Um, one who comes to mind immediately is uh, Dr. Ralph Martin, who wrote a, a book on this. And I asked him to be honest with you, like sincerely, what if these people are sincere? He just goes, Joe, it doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. Comment on that because it's not bearing fruit. That's it. So first of all, um, 
I, I want to be now very harsh, but not to you, obviously, it also not to the listeners and also not to any uh, special person. But I, I have a priest friend, uh, I really like him very much, Father Paolo. And Father Paolo is a traditional priest, and he once, after I gave a little interview to, to I don't know which media it was, was a very nice people from Germany, he called me very strong and very strongly told me that what I said in the interview was wrong. And I was a little bit shocked because I was always following traditional uh, thing. And I said, well, Father, please teach me what, what exactly was wrong. And he said, well, you always talk, talked about what the church does wrong and the, where the church uh, you know, does this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And the church itself is holy. The church does not do anything wrong. There are people who are, who are parts of the church and they are sinful and they are humans and they do the sins. So what I found out is that if the teaching of the church seems hard and difficult, then it's our problem. It's not the church's problem, it's health. But as the church loves us because God created the church in order to show us his love through it, so as God loves us, and therefore the church also loves us, um, they need to give it uh, to us sometimes as more or less in the way you would hug someone, but sometimes also the way you would give someone the bitter medicine in order to get healthy again. And I think that's exactly what nowadays times are missing. Nowadays, People often think that the church is just a worldly institution created by some people who wanted to collect money in the past. That's more or less, you know, the anti-church propaganda um, short version of what they tell us nowadays. But the church was created by God himself, by Jesus Christ himself. It was planned from the very, very beginning. And therefore, it is perfect. And if the teaching of the church sounds harsh for you, then it is, it's only because your way of life is too, so far away in certain aspects of what your way of life should be and of heaven, that obviously you would have to reshape your life in quite a lot, and that is hard. So I have to say, at the end of the day, if someone tells me, I think the church is very hard in this and this and this point, then normally I, I, I do not blame those persons anymore. I don't say, well, you're an idiot because the church is right. I just I normally start talking to them about exactly this issue and say, well, Tell me why it is so hard for you. What exactly is so hard? And then see people come always up with a personal story and tell you, well, because I know someone or because I'm affected or because this happens or because I believe this. Mm -hmm. And that's where the real talk starts because and the church is perfect. I exactly. would agree. Exactly. Alexander Shugel joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. If you break your leg and the doctor goes to reset it, guess what? He's got to reset the leg. You know what's going to happen in the meantime? It's going to hurt like hell. That's what it, you're going to scream. Okay. If you, uh, Alexander, none of us walk on water. Everybody's got their baggage. I'll speak for myself. Okay. I struggle just like I believe everybody else does with sin and those things from, from my life away from the church. In other words, back, you know, a long time ago. Okay. Um, but I know the church is right. And I keep going to her and I don't want the church to just say, Oh, it's okay. Jesus love you. I got that. I got that when I was five. Okay. Mm -hmm. I know Jesus loves me. Okay. But love and truth sometimes it's not going to feel that good. Let me talk, let me ask you this. Some people might be listening to you, Alexander, here at the front line with Joe and Joe say, this, this guy must be a cradle Catholic. He was born Catholic. He's so passionate for the faith. Not so. Talk to our audience well, about your briefly about your journey. So, so my journey um, began when I was born in, into the arms of two very loving parents. And therefore, I always had a very nice childhood. But actually, I grew up being a cradle Protestant, a Lutheran. Uh, my family 
traditionally was Catholic, uh, as most of Austrian family, uh, families uh, were Catholics or still are Catholic. But during the eras of the Second World War and the times before and afterwards, um, my family, my, my ancestors uh, decided to, to leave the church. And when I was born, I was I was raised with you know the one prayer uh, we all know that our father, but I never I never heard a Hail Mary up until I was actually on my way to conversion already. I so I did not know how to pray this, and when I converted, I, I put it make it short because it's a big story. Obviously, the reason I converted was when I suddenly found out that what I learned in my Protestant um, school teacher as a as, uh, at school, we have Protestant religion as a subject, more or less. I don't know if this is the same in the United States, but in Austria, we have Catholic. Catholic religion is part of our school system, so you have to learn it in school. It's part of the public school system as well as the private school system. And therefore, the Protestants also have a school, a school teaching. So I went there, and everything was not made, did not really make sense. And so I had some friends who were Catholic. I had all those questions. Everything seemed to be so weak and strange to me. And suddenly I, I found out that the Catholic Church is true. That's how I converted. I converted because I found out what the Catholic Church is, is teaching is actually the truth. I could test it myself, you know. I could test what the Protestant Church was teaching. There was one thing, I know it's every good Protestant theologian would now start a big discussion with me, but at the end of the day, um, Saint, Saint Robert Bellamin would, would say that I'm right with this. Um, the, the, for example, Luther and, and Lutherans, they always say sola scriptura, so only the scripture. But Luther himself alters the scripture. This is not logical. If you believe that sola scriptura, that is a you know, divine, uh, divine um, and holy scripture, then why would you change it? And if you change it but still keep it, why would you, um, why would you say that this is the only thing um, in the world um, um, valid, even though, as we all know, the holy scripture was put together by a pope and by the Catholic Church. Yes, they did not invent the scriptures, that's true, but they put it together. And so at the end of the day, I found out this is all not very logical, uh, just to name one of the many examples. And when I met um, the priest, and I had the luck to have a very good priest, Father Paul, um, an oratorian, a local oratorian here from Vienna, he um, gave me a basic catechism and everything he said, I never heard in my life. It made so much sense and suddenly I understood, ah, that's how it works, you know. And when I then turned Catholic, I thought that I'm already a big know-it-all because, you know, I, I, I had catechism from a good priest and that's it. And that's why my journey started. That's why I found out that the Catholic Church's teaching is not any teaching, but it's more or less the teaching of the whole world, of everything. And therefore, you can actually indulge pretty much in it and can learn tons of things from it. And I found out that we are not the big know-it-alls here on Earth, but we have to find our position. And our position is not something we invent for ourselves, but we find by listening to God's voice. And that's what we call a vocation. So I found out that it seems to be part of my vocation to talk about the faith. And I started talking about the faith pretty early uh, with many people, which led to lots of problems and lots of friendships and so on, you know, all the things coming up normally. So my journey was sometimes quite a rough one. But at the end of the day, I'm now sitting here, I'm married to a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful circle of friends, all very Catholic. And I know more people who converted to the Catholic Church than people who left the Catholic Church in my circle of friends. And awesome. I have to say, this shows everything in my eyes. God is really on our side. We just have to accept his embrace and accept his help. Absolutely. And Joe Racinello always says on the show, Alexander, you know, <clears throat> if you want to see how it's working out, look at look for the fruit. 
You know, yeah, Jesus said, you know, you, you're going to bear good fruit. And you could look back at your life and say, just as you said, um, you know, married, your life's in a certain journey of Catholic friends. You're deep in the faith. There, There is the fruit amongst other things. Joe Resinello. I want to talk a little bit about that uh, journey because you said something I think that's interesting. You know, it wasn't logical. I think the key factor here with you is you were honest with yourself. I think people who are truly seeking the truth, and many people are sincere in directions that they go. They're just wrong. I mean, like, like you could say to someone who is like, you know, they could be, they could say like, I don't know. Abortion is good for women. No, well, no, it's not. But there's not like th there's something in someone's heart. If they're sincere, they'll find the Catholic Church. People put up walls, Alexander, and I've been in involved in this for quite some time in in catechetical teaching as well as other activities, evangelical, you know, like not evangelical, uh, evangelism within the church. People put up walls. There comes a point where you confront somebody with pure truth, and if they're not honest with themselves, they just reject it. It's mathematical. There's certain things that are simply mathematical. And you see, you were honest, and that's why you accepted it. How do we break through those walls? I have my own thoughts, but I'm interested in yours, because I'm sure in what you do at the Boniface Center, you come up with it up against people like that. What are your thoughts on breaking through that wall? So first of all, it's, it's, a, it's a very good example of the wall because it actually is like this. Um, there is a big a medieval story I want to share first because it, it explains everything very well from Vienna. It talks about uh, what we call the basilisk. The basilisk is a dragon, more or less, living in a well in the inner city of Vienna. It was a, a story we told children in order for them to learn, you know. And the basilisk lives in a, in a well in the middle of Vienna and he stinks and he's terrible and he screams and his voice is unhearable. And whenever you come close, you die because uh, you immediately become uh, just a piece of stone because it's so ugly that there's everything, every life leaves you. And so in order to um, um, win against the basilisk to besiege him, there was this little baker boy who uh, went down into this well, you know, um, he put something on his nose so that he couldn't smell the, the, the ugly smell with a mirror in his hat and showed the basilisk his own ugliness. And that's how the basilisk died. That's the story. And I think at the end of the day, why uh, the reason why people erect walls is exactly this, because they do not want to look into their own mirrors. And so, so why is that? Um, at the end of the day, God gave us um, um, an internal understanding of the truth. That's what we normally say is the natural law, so an understanding of natural law. We understand that killing someone is actually not good. That's the reason why people, even if they are raised in a society where killing is quite accepted, like, for example, in Islamic societies, feel not very well after they kill someone. And you can see this also if you talk to those people and if they convert later, that they tell you, from the beginning, I did not have a very good feeling with, with killing someone. Or if you have an abortion, then you look at the psychological problems coming up with abortions and all the also physical health problems coming up with abortion. The body and the spirit understands fully that this is actually very wrong. If you take the pill, for example, just imagine a woman takes the pill and the pill um, acts as if the woman is constantly pregnant over decades sometimes 
obviously the body and the mind understand it and that's the reason why the women all change and they all change in their whole behavior and everything changes so at the end of the day we cannot deny that we are children of god and that we have a certain purpose in life and that there is a higher goal in our lives so in order to distract us from this higher goal the devil does anything he can does any anything he can in order to um, not let us see beauty of the truth. He only shows us the so-called ugliness and compares the so-called ugliness of the truth, and obviously there is no ugliness in truth, I will come to this in a second, and compares the so-called ugliness of truth with the joy and fun you can have going his way. I'll give you an example. If I will tell you now, well, look, I invited you to a very nice party where you have free drinks and free food, and I don't know, um, prostitutes and so on and you're a, a middle-aged man alone do not have any idea of moral guidelines you know and then someone else comes and tells you well no 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 no, come with me i bring you on a pilgrimage this pilgrimage will take you up and down for the mountains and the next day the weather forecast says it's very hot or very cold and all, all the time raining then obviously it's a little bit easier to accept the devil's invitation than the angel's invitation here to going on the pilgrimage so at the end of the day um, um, why is that? Because people um, living uh, are used to live a very shallow life right now. Just look at your normal children, as not your personally your children, but look at normal children's upbringing right now. They are, they grew up with um, tons of bad foods, tons of bad clothing, tons of very, very bad influence through so-called social, I would rather call them anti-social media. They learn things like dancing naked on TikTok uh, earns you more views than dancing ghost on TikTok and so on. They have all those trends going on with highly sexual, with all the indoctrination going on and so on. So those people are not clear in their mind, but are actually quite confused in a very young young age. And later, and in, the, and in the same age, they never learn to work for something hard. They never learn that sometimes it takes a little bit more than just saying, hello, here I am to, to earn something. And some, sometimes over the years, the children, even though when they are young, full of energy, lose their energy and do not really have a possibility to regain it as fast as they could have if they would not have lived this life. And, some, and somebody comes, you know, a Catholic and tells them, return, change your life, and so on. That's not that easy. So I believe in order to bring us back to the faith, God lets us fall. He lets us fall. And that's very important to see that if God, because, you know, we all know the examples from the Bible about the prophet Eob. Uh, Eob, I, I don't know how you say it in English, but um, Job, do you say Job, the prophet? Oh, jo Job. Job, Job. Okay. J-O-B. Job, Job, you say, yeah. Uh, so, Prophet Job, you see how God put him in through a really hard time. Or our Lord and Savior himself, who had to even suffer the most terrible death uh, of, of his time. And I think up to today, of the, the most terrible death he could suffer. Um, um, and even even so much that he, that he, he suffered in a way that he he went through this, uh, this, this, this passage where God was even gone, more or less, you know, even though he was God, obviously. So we see that God lets us fall. And the question for me was always when I was young, why does he let us fall? He lets us fall in order to show us the real fruits of our sins. Because actually the fruits of our sins are way more terrible than we see them and we feel them because he's a very kind God. Just imagine if you would, let's say, abort a child. God wants a child to exist. He wants it. And the child starts to come into existence. 
and suddenly you go there and kill it together with a doctor and nurse, his own mother, most of the time also his own father and so on. This is one of the biggest crimes in the history, actually, in history. If you could just, you know, it's one of the biggest sins you can, you can commit. And the only thing you suffer through, it's hard for me to say, so please understand me right. The only thing you suffer through is more or less a little bit psychological illness and, and that's it. You, you know that this doesn't work at the end because God is just. So therefore he gives you the highest amount of suffering you can suffer through because he's very kind, he's very loving, unless you suffer through it in order for you to understand that this is not the right way. And now I want to answer the question you had at the beginning, Joe, about how can this change? How can this be changed? I think it's all in God's hands. And if God decides that things can change now, he will change it. We have to ask him for it. We have to be ready for it, obviously. But he will give his possibilities. And one of his possibilities is definitely also suffering. He will show the people by suffering that this is not the right way to, to, to raise children. That's not the right way to, to live a society. We will suffer. We will suffer. Right now, we suffer tyranny already with the whole corona nonsense. We will now suffer way more. I think here in Europe, we will suffer now food shortages and gas shortages and heating problems for lots of families. I think poor families this winter, if the winter is as hard as it was in some of the, win in the, in the, some of the last years, some families really, really suffer. And if they start suffering, they will suddenly understand that there is no way out if you still believe that you are the only solution for everything. But there is a way out if you see that there is someone upstairs, more or less, but also with you, who loves you more than anyone could do here now. I want to echo something you said, because um, I heard a homily. It, it always, like, it, I'll never forget it. The, this priest actually knew a shepherd. And he said, if he has a sheep that always goes astray, what the shepherd will do is actually take the leg of the sheep into his hands and snap it. And then he will bind up the leg and carry that sheep everywhere he goes. And when that leg heals, that sheep will never leave his side. That's kind of how I kind of hear what you're saying. Yeah. However, there are some people who are still obstinate, and, and this is what I want to throw at you. I think there are people, because that's, to be honest, how I came into the church. I tried it my way as a young man, and at 22, I'm 52 now, um, I said, this doesn't work, and I started to take my faith seriously. But then there are those who double down and triple down, and I believe the, the true way is you have to love them. I have seen this with the missionaries of charity, men, hardened, hardened men, deep in sin, get baptized because they feel and see an example that they have never experienced. And it stops traffic. Your thoughts on that, Alexander, we have about Alexander, we have about two minutes, uh, a minute and a half to, before the break, just to give you a heads up. I make it very short. My answer to this is very easy. You're 100% right. If we want to bring to the people what God gave us, then we have to understand that the biggest thing God gives us is his love. Therefore, we have to be very loving to them. And love means being 100% honest to them, 100% honest, but in a, care, in a caring and, and, and love, loving way. So if someone comes to you with the biggest problems in his mind, and you know he lives a terrible lifestyle, then it might be wise not to, not to make the first mention, the first sentence, uh, sentence where you tell him that he actually lives a terrible life. But the first sentence could be a sentence where you actually 
really welcome him and say, well, I'm very happy that you that you ask my help. I hope I can help you. Let's pray to God that, that everything will work out the way it should. And then try to care for the people in a very human way. I think that the two wars we all went through, not we personally, but our ancestors went through, and you in the United States with the Vietnam War and another war going on as well, and, and the Iraq War, war and so on. All the wars we went through, but especially the First and Second World War, really destroyed lots of things. Because in the First World War, people were still Catholic before, for example, here in Austria and in many other countries. Then there was this whole confusion going on because in many European countries, Freemasonry ideologies came into um, power in a very, very strong way. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but for example, Portugal had a Freemasonry government officially official mm -hmm. government and other things like this happened and then the second world war with this terrible ideology of national socialism with which firstly was an anti-god ideology then all the other things and on the other half of the, of the european side the terrible ideology of communism destroying millions of people's lives and killing them all you know so how can you expect a good society coming out of this if the only thing happening afterwards is confusion in the church Alexander, we're going to answer that question on the other side of the break. I wanted it. We want to continue that. Okay. Alexander Shugel joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Arsenello. And we are way in the breach. We're talking about Catholicism, pure and simple. All right. Because that's what we got to get back to. Okay. And try to evangelize, evangelize this world. All right. That's going on, on the wrong path. And there's a lot of examples of it. So we're very honored that Alexander has decided to join us here today to have this conversation. So we're at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial. We have another great segment with Alexander Shugel. Stick around. We'll be right back. Thank you for being a part of our Veritas Catholic Radio family this past year. If you've enjoyed listening to our programming, please help us with an end-of-year gift so we can make your listening experience even better in 2023. These are the final days of the year to make your tax-deductible donation to Veritas Catholic Radio. Your generosity will help us create original programming that boldly proclaims the truth of the gospel. It will also help us expand our online presence, our Veritas Catholic Radio app, and increase our community engagement in the Diocese of Bridgeport and beyond. Please make your charitable contribution to Veritas Catholic Radio by Saturday, December 31st at midnight. You may donate safely and securely at VeritasCatholic.com and the Veritas Catholic Network app. Your generosity with a year-end gift helps us to reach even more souls for our newborn king in the new year. Let's make 2023 a great year for him together on Veritas Catholic Radio and VeritasCatholic.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, way, way, way in the breach with Alexander Shugel. So, Alexander, uh, you were making a point um, about, you know, national socialism, you know, before the, the, the end of the segment, national socialism on the one side, communism on the other side. And how does a, a good and moral, I assume, just society, how, do, how does it come out of that? Uh, you were about to give us the answer. Hit it. <laughs> well, first of all, I wanted to give us another problem. Um, the problem is that that people try to answer those two ideologies with another ideology, with the ideology of liberalism and modernism. So at the end of the day, they suddenly said, for example, right now in, in Austria, they said national socialism was wrong because they had um, hierarchy in the military and so on. Obviously, this was not the problem. The problem was that those people tried to actually kill everyone who was not on their side and trying to dishonor God whenever they could and they and, and you know, and, and so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, the problem is that when everything was in confusion and the, the modern society already gave the next problem as an answer, liberalism and so on, the church 
um, um, suddenly found itself in a big crisis. So we suddenly had, after Second Vatican Council, all the problems coming out of the council, all the different fights we suddenly has, had communists inside um, the church. Look at, for example, South America, to Brazil. Um, in Brazil, we had a liberation theology, and not only in Brazil, sorry, in all of South America, telling people that more or less a mixture between communism and Catholic uh, doctrine is possible, even though it's, it's not. And John Paul II then said, no, it's wrong, you cannot do this, and so on. Or you suddenly had all those movements saying, well, priests should get married, homosexual, uh, homosexuality should be embraced in the church, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So the problem is that the crisis we talked about, it was never over. It never stopped. We went from one crisis to just to the next crisis and to the next crisis. And let's call those crises now um, revolutionary crises, because they are revolutionary. Let's go a little bit back in history, then a little bit forth in what we maybe we'll see in the next decades, and then about a, a possible answer. If you go back in history, we had Protestantism first, telling people that there is not one church, but more or less you can do it the way you should, but God exists and so on, and he, you know, he's still God Almighty. And then you had the French Revolution telling people, God is not the most important, you are the most important, humans are the most important, everything circles around the humans. And then, uh, and all the problems with this, the French revolutionaries killing killing and raping nuns and, and, and priests and innocent uh, people and so on. And, and suddenly you had, if this was not enough, suddenly you had all this, uh, after the Industrial Revolution, suddenly you had um, um, liberalism coming up, nationalism coming up, socialism coming up, communism coming up, all those problems which then shaped the 20th century. And now we live in the 21st century and live in the area behind it. So we already are in the sexual revolution area. We have now sexual perversion everywhere, everywhere. One-year-olds, two-year-olds already indoctrinated. And I always think that this is crazy and it could not happen, but it happens. And at the end of the day, if you want to use my picture, which, I, which once came up, I don't know if it's perfect, but just imagine you stand there in the middle of pure nature, everything is wonderful and beautiful. You stand, let's say, in front of a wonderful, beautiful mountain, next to an old chapel standing on a hill, everything is beautiful. And you look up into heaven and pray to God. That's what we want. That's Catholic society, that we, as soon as you see something beautiful, you pray to God. And if it's a rainy day and a bad uh, day and so on, you also look up and pray to God. Look at Protestantism in a way, Protestantism suddenly destroys the hierarchy of how you look up to God and uh, destroys the understanding of how you look up to God, so that actually God wants us, wants us to live in a certain way in order to be able to look up to him even better than we would do in our, on ourselves. Look at the French Revolution as someone telling you, do not look up to God, do not thank God, thank yourself, you're the one who, who will solve all these problems. So suddenly you're looking at the other humans, you know, you, you stop looking above and you suddenly lose one dimension and, and only in two dimensions. And then suddenly someone comes and says, well, do not look at every human, only look at the humans who share the same ideology or same people with you, like nationalism telling you, if you, I don't know, are a Czech, you are only allowed to be friends with Czechs, or if you're German, only with Germans, and so on. Or with socialists, say, if you do not swear in front of the red flag that you're part of our team, you are enemy. And suddenly this destroying all the humans, and suddenly you do not look at every human, but only on a few. And then... Even this goes away when suddenly people tell you, no, only look at yourself with the sexual revolution. Look at what you need right now, your primitive instincts. What do they need right now? Do you need sexual fulfillment with a little child in the 68 revolution? This was a totally normal, uh, normal topic, topic to talk about. Do you need sexual, sexual whatever with a man, with another man and so on? And this, if this is, was not even bad enough 
will now lead us into the next revolution, or we are already there. It will be, and I'm very sure about this, it's a big topic, but I think we should talk about this, the dehumanizing um, um, revolution. So the revolution telling you, you as a human per se are wrong. You will see an increase even in a, in, in a way that people are even less sexual than they are right now. I'm very sure about this. You will see people uh, talking about saving little chickens, but killing unborn babies. You already see them. You will see people suddenly saying it's better if uh, humans were never born. The whole population control thing, you know, 7 billion to 500 million. Alexander, I just want a quick comment on that. I remember remember being uh, 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 shocked years ago when I heard Richard Dawkins say that the greatest thing human beings can do is collectively kill themselves. Okay, I, and, and my, my, my response to that is, Professor Dawkins, you first. Go ahead, Alexander. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the problem is we, uh, Professor Dawkins, I, I hope, he, I hope he, he converted. I think he didn't, did, didn't he already die? I don't know. Maybe he's still. I, yeah, know, so I don't I, think he's, no, he's still around. He's still causing trouble. Okay, okay. Well, but at the end of the day, so if the intellectual sphere, the ideological sphere started 10, 20, 30 years ago to indoctrinate us, you will see the outcome right now. You will suddenly see people. And I give you now a very, very ugly thing I found out with doing all the research, all the work we do, all the people we get to know every day. Young people in in school, I'm not talking about faithful uh, uh, children. Young people in school very often start taking medication, psychological medication, when they are 9, 10, 11 years old, start taking medications against their normal hormonal development in a very young age. You suddenly have 15 years old. Please ask the average 12 to 15 year old girl on the streets of your local city if she thinks that she has anxiety. Social anxiety, ask her. 80%, 90%, sometimes even every girl will tell, yeah, I'm, I have this. But that's the reason I, will, I, I think I will have to take medication against this. I, I would never believed it, but people all are getting fully destroyed, and so they do not develop properly. And then they get hormones in order to you know, change the gender. Not every child. The anxiety thing and the whole psychological thing, it, 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 unfortunately, it's really a big thing. It, I think it's more than 50% of the children. But the hormonal change is not so much yet. And what is the goal of this, if not to fully destroy the human nature, human nature, because, and why does it have to get destroyed? Because it's, was, humans are created as images of God, so in the image of God. We represent God on earth, not because we are so great, God is so great, but because God gave us the honor of being great in his image. Isn't it wonderful? So the only thing modern society wants to do is destroy this image destroy it yeah and i think therefore that the next two parts of the revolution we will see will be the primitive revolution you will see people killing themselves or living like animals and the other one is the primitive revolution in the other way around so in a very sophisticated way the people say normal humans are not good only if they're enhanced of certain technologies that they're good you know i don't know uh, chips in your head whatever i was gonna say it's the uh, transhumanism uh, the yeah. uh the, the uh, Yuval Harari is out there promoting yes. that. Okay. Go, go ahead, Alexander. Now we go to the answer. At the front so line we, with Joe and Joe. Go so now we come to the answer. The answer is 100% clear. God, only, only God and his will will lead us out of this. So how can we start doing this? Because some, if, if I tell someone, well, the answer is clear, follow God, then obviously many people say, yeah, that's true, but 
following God right now won't solve my problem that I, don't, I cannot pay for my gas anymore, therefore will freeze this winter. First of all, that's wrong. It can solve this problem because God can solve every problem in the world. Um, but second of all, that's, that's, that's not it. The question is how you approach a problem. And so I thought maybe we should give some practical tips to the people because that's very important. And maybe, for, especially for you Americans, because there's one thing in America which is very different to what we see here in Europe. In America, people are used to travel around quite a lot in their lives. So people are living in, I don't know, California and then move to the East Coast or living in the South and go to the North. Those are thousands of kilometers of distance. So you do not really feel home sometimes the same way the average European does. This does not mean that the Europeans are better, by the way, because right now we are way more corrupt. I see in, in, in America right now a huge hope for the church. But it means that you are uh, sometimes in America, what I see at least, maybe I'm wrong, is a, a lack of local establishment of family networks and, and, and bigger trust, so generational trust. What do I mean? I think in the future we have to think of ourselves not so much anymore as individuals who are citizens to the, to the, in, in, the, in a certain state, that's nice, but rather as members of our families. We have to think as families. We have to combat things in a bigger way. So there are a few families we are part of. The biggest family is we are part of Jesus Christ's body itself through baptism. That's the biggest thing we have. So that's what connects us all. Then through blood, we are relatives of our own families, where we come from, our siblings and our parents and so on. And through marriage, through the sacrament of marriage, we are members of the family of our wife's family and obviously uh, the same family with our children. So we have all those different family structures and we should, whenever a problem comes up, I know it's hard and it won't be so easy to start doing this from one day to another. First thing, how can I solve it with my family? Not me alone. Ask your family. People are not used to ask their own friends or family anymore, but that's very important. If you have a problem, first ask your family. You will, at the beginning, get, it will be very difficult sometimes. Just imagine your cousin comes and tells you, Joe, I really need your help. Doesn't this happen? And you never had this. But maybe you, are just, you just have more energy than he has. And you can help him because you have more energy. Or maybe mm -hmm. you cannot help him and tell him, well, I cannot help you, but I have this friend and he could help you. And so on. suddenly people will see that the answer for the problems is not some socialist institution somewhere, maybe fighting against them even, but it's actually in the family. And if you do this, do it with prayer. So tell them if they have problems and so on. And if you, for example, know they are not Catholic, then say, I'll pray for you and really do it, obviously. But if they are faithful, tell, well, okay, let's do this. Let's meet there. Let's go to mass together. Let's figure this out. Let's pray in front of the Holy Sacrament before. Let's pray a rosary together. Maybe that's always a very good idea. And you will see sudden things will certainly change. And this will not happen from one day to another. It's not a video game. Mm -hmm. But the decision can happen from one moment to another. It's way better than a video game. No, absolutely. Alexander Shugel joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. That, Alexander, that was very, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. But we do want to get, we do want people to know more about you and what you have going on. Um, and uh, Alexander Shugel joining us here. We're talking about Catholicism, pure and simple. Uh, Joe Racinello.
Um, I, I want to just make a comment. You're talking about subsidiarity, basically, which is a Catholic teaching. Um, what does that mean for those who may not know? It's basically at the lowest level, so solutions are basically solved. And I agree with you 100%. I also think this, and, and as you were talking about breaking through some of those walls, I think of Joseph Ratzinger's 1969 radio address. I think as the world gets darker, and many of the things you just explained are happening now. I mean, yeah. we are here the dehumanization of man is taking place now. We're watching it right on our streets. You could see it. Um, I do think this, and I was saying this to someone yesterday walking to the bus from New York City, a, a co-worker of mine. As things get darker, the light will shine brighter. People have to see the good and the fruit of your life to believe it. Because ultimately, we all have to live with ourselves. And when that darkness envelops you and you see an example, look at Alexander, look at his wife, look at his children. They're happy. Why can't I have that? That takes time. That takes consistency. That takes grace. That's how we change the world. You're Let me hey, I want to uh, flip it over to a, a question, Alexander Sugar. So you just um, you mentioned family. Then there's also tradition and there's property. And there's a group called Tradition, Family, and Property. Uh, John Horvat's a friend of the front line with Joe and Joe. Fascinating guy. Brilliant. Um, we've had him on the show. So what kind of work are they doing? Because we also want to leave a little time, Alexander, because we want to let you to let people know what you have going on at the St. Boniface Center. Uh, but start with TFP. What's going on with them and how are you involved with them? I, I'm not officially involved with them at all. I'm just friends with them since I'm very young. Oh, right? oh Okay. I'm, I cannot really say tell you what's going on right. But how now. how would, how did they influence you? Because I know what you guys do, um, you know, with the Boniface Center. Actually, we do it similar. We have rosary rallies the first yeah. of uh, every month on Saturday. I, I see what you do on Twitter. I love it. Actually, talk about how they influenced you and what you're doing. Um, I cannot tell you really how how uh, everything worked in detail as everything was always you know coming together from different sides. But what I can tell you is that the books and teaching of Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira, so the founder of the institute, heavily influenced me in a way that he gave an understanding of things way better than many others, as he uh, as he was very how can I say. It, it, it's very easy understandable. He explained very well what hierarchy is for, for example, because many people believe when they listen, to, when they hear the word hierarchy, they hear someone else is telling me what to do. That's that's not the main thing about hierarchy. Hierarchy is about knowing where your position is. So where can you actually do best what you what you what you could should do, and if you do this best, you will have people who will need to help you, and you will have people who you will help. You will have people who will support you and people you support. And you will have people next to you fighting the same fight. And that's hierarchy, basically. And there is a perfect hierarchy in heaven, obviously, when we know that God is God, God and, and the Holy Trinity, and then we have Mary, the Queen of Heaven, and so on and so forth, and the angels and everything. And therefore, this perfect hierarchy in heaven is already something we can understand a little bit, a tiny bit here on earth, if we understand hierarchy correct, not as a yoke someone puts on us, but rather something actually helping us not being totally, totally over, over, overwhelmed by all the things actually that need to be done. Just imagine, you need to cross an ocean. You need to cross, let's say you need to cross a river. Just imagine you alone would be um, the one in charge for bringing your whole family over the river. 
And now imagine you would have people who help you. And now imagine those people work together. Everyone is fighting who will be the one building the bridge, who will lead this, you know. This is, it won't work. It will only work if you would say, okay, he's now going to, he's the one who has, you know, who knows the most about building bridges. I will now follow his command for this project. That's a working hierarchy. And if you do this, at the end of the day, the whole family, everyone can cross the ocean. It doesn't matter if you're the high, highest one hierarchy or the lowest one. Everyone can cross this river if people work together in a good way. And that's right. I'm so happy you, you you talked about hierarchy, Alexander Sugar, because it's like one of those annoying things when you watch TV and you hear like some rabid leftist and they're saying we're opposed to hierarchy. Okay, you don't yeah. even you don't even know what it means. But Alexander Shugel just told our audience here at the front line with Joe and Joe how to properly look the, at hierarchy. The reason with the reason why leftists do not like hierarchy is because they actually live in the worst hierarchy in the world. They all live in a chaotic way in a way that allows everyone to really take them and use them however he wants. Right. So if you have a bunch of leftists like Antifa, for example, the Antifa in Austria always fought against the government because as long as the government was still, you know, more or less the representative of certain laws, Antifa was against it. Suddenly, the government was saying, vax mandates are good, and the Antifa went to the streets fighting for the guy in favor of the government against the people. Right. So you saw that they changed from one day to another because they are just a bunch of people who are actually confused and don't really know what to do with their lives. And the biggest command they have is devil, the devil, but they don't know it. And I hope that many people really do not know this. Alexander, I want to talk a little bit more about like prayer and action because that's what uh, TFP does. That's what you do. That's what I try to do. And I, I'll be honest with you. I think that is the way forward. I think TFP does it very well. What do I mean by that? They do novenas. They pray the rosary publicly. They peacefully stand against things that are against the faith. We have to do that in the public square. We have to do that. And and frankly, we don't see enough of it. And and like I said, it has to be fueled by prayer because there's limits to anything a man or a woman can do. We have to acknowledge that. And I think they do and you do. You say, listen, I'm speaking the truth, but here's the deal. I stand on God and I trust in God's grace and it's grace that's going to touch you, but I'm going to speak it and I'm going to stand in the public square. Talk about how you guys, I watch it on Twitter. I love it. You guys walk through the streets of Vienna. You, you, you pray, you have perception. Sessions. Talk about that. I think it'll inspire people. Yeah, so the, the biggest understanding behind this is the first, the big question coming up is always, isn't faith something you should keep private? Mm. And I believe that the Catholic faith is definitely not something you should keep private if it comes to promoting it, for example. Everyone knows this. Evangelizing is part of our mission. We should be, we should all evangelize our friends. So we know from our Lord and Savior himself Jesus Christ himself said we should go to the people and evangelize them. So we know this. Therefore, the question is just how do we do this? And yes, sometimes it's not good to, to, to do it in, a, in, in certain ways, as it will rather bring people, push people away from the faith than bring them closer. That's clear. But let me give you one example. If you want something good to happen in your own life as a faithful person, you will pray to God. If you want that your family experience something good in your family's life, you will gather your family and pray to God together. If you want, therefore, your people and your country to develop in a good way, you gather the people of your country 
and pray together. That's very logical, very normal, and it's done in every other aspect as well. It's interesting, if a leftist ever tells you, well, prayer should not be done in public, then, and then ask them why, and then they always say, well, because your religion is your prior thing. And I could say, well, do you even believe in God? And normally people say, no, I do not believe in God. I, th I just think it's just your stupid ideas. And I say, well, okay, I have my stupid ideas, you have your stupid ideas. You do demonstrations every second day, why do you do them? So at the end of the day, it is, it sounds strange, but it's very natural to gather your friends in order to ask for something, isn't it? And if we believe that asking God is way more powerful than asking humans, then why shouldn't we gather our friends to do this? And there are certain ways the church established, which, and I think we should stick to these ways as far as possible because they are well established and established by saints and, 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 and the church itself. And one of them is going, for example, the Holy Mass together going to uh, bring a novena together, bring the rosary together, making a, doing a procession, because a procession is very important because it also has an exorcistic aspect to it. If you go somewhere, then you dedicate this space to prayer, at least when you go there. If you stand somewhere, then this is a place of prayer as long as you stand there. We should not believe as we are not esoterics, you know, we do not believe that if we once put a rosary, you know, on a certain house that never ever will there, will, will there be a, a murder. That's, that's not how it works. But when we stay there and pray, it's very powerful mm. and it helps and others can see it. What is very important is we have to understand that we do not pray for the other people. We pray there in order to conquer our streets and, our, and, 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 and the places where we are for God. We want them to be God's place. We want them to be able to see God present, present. If you go to any old Catholic European city like Vienna is one of those, you will see tons of statues of saints, especially of Our Lady and especially of the Holy Trinity. We have a tradition of having big statues of the Holy Trinity in the bigger cities of Europe, of Austria. And you have those statues and they reflect and show that the people in the past who built up our wonderful culture always knew whenever something happens, you have to, you have to understand that you have to give back something you maybe took away from God in, and, and, from this, and, and from the good, you know, from the good, and give it back and dedicate a certain place. Everyone, by the way, does this at home as well. If you, for example, go into an atheist's home, you will still find a certain place, his private room, at his desk, maybe, wherever he likes to do this, where he has certain things remembering him, of his family, of his friends, whatever, you know, he believes. So this is a very natural thing. But we know that everything God gives naturally has to be cultivated by us. That's what we are called to as Catholics. So let's cultivate it. Let's bring it out to the streets in a proper way. We know the proper way. Let's ask priests, uh, let's ask, uh, priests to join us. Let's try to connect it with uh, organizing holy masses or at least going to holy masses with novenas and with prayers. And let's try to put ourselves out of this as much as possible uh, in a personal way so that we can put ourselves in uh, as much as possible. What I mean by this, Protestant, modern Protestants tell us, do a free prayer. That can be nice sometimes. But at the end of the day, what really connects us is that we all pray together. And what should we pray together? Well, I think, first of all, the rosary, because the rosary starts with the greed. You know, we all confess the same faith. It then falls, followed by the Our Father, the prayer which our Lord told us to pray, especially to pray together as well. And then it starts with 
um, the three Hail Mary, and so on and so forth, where we ask for the big, uh, the big um, 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 virtues and so on, and we ask for God's charity more or less. So we see that this is a perfect prayer, and that's the reason why I believe that everything should be started in prayer. And to come a little bit back to what you said, why should we not try to separate our faith from our actions? Sometimes it's necessary to separate certain institutions. So, so for example, if you have someone who takes care of the sick in an army, you will separate this guy from the ones who dig the trenches and the ones who, you know, are the staff on airplanes, because it's way better if they are separated. But they are still part of the big battle. And that's the same here. So sometimes there are certain places for certain things. You should not believe that everything can be done everywhere. So for example, I hope it doesn't not sound too harsh because I know many people like it. I personally do not like if people celebrate masses outdoors if there already is a nice Catholic church next to them. If there's no Catholic church, obviously, go ahead. But the reason why we have those buildings is in order for them to be used for exactly what they're dedicated for. So the reason why we have to fight for, the, for, for our streets is um, because we know what our streets and places are actually there for. And let me come to this, and that's my point here. Why do we build streets? Why do we build buildings if not to honor God? We build a street in order to go to Mass, in order to go to Holy, go to Holy Confession, to Holy Communion, and to all those things. That's the main reason to honor God. I know it sounds a little bit far-fetched, but it's not far-fetched. Look at it from a Catholic point of view. It's very logical. Second reason why we build a street, in order to be able to visit our families, to visit the ones we have, we are in, in charge of also, the ones you, you, we have to visit, like our parents or our siblings and so on, our own children later. Third of all, we build streets in order to go to our work, so in order to fulfill our duties here in society and also in, in, in the eyes of God. Fourth, in order to visit our friends and, and, and you know, and do also sometimes your know, celebration of things because we know that God wants us to reflect his joy in the proper times of the year. So for example, with holidays, we should celebrate the holidays. So that's why we build things. Why shouldn't we not therefore use them also according to this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Alexander, it's been a great, a great conversation. All right. You're very inspiring, uh, very enlightening. We, we mean that sincerely. Joe and I say on the show all the time, we're not, Joe and I are here, the guests we have on, like yourself and others, we learn from also. We're not just, you know, when we try to bring that, that uh, what you're saying out to our audience at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Very quickly, uh, 30 seconds, Alexander, where can people find out more about what you have going on, the uh, St. Boniface Center, follow you on social media, all that fun stuff. So social media, the easiest way is to follow um, me on Twitter, uh, A. Chuguel. Um, um, I gave you my Twitter handle, maybe you can just show it to the people and um, and obviously to subscribe to our newspaper and to our newsletter on our homepage boniface-institute.com I just want to add that as many parts of our work are very um, local and sometimes even in a way hidden because I think that we should not brag too much about certain things and I also believe that things go better if you do not present them to the whole world it sometimes um, looks a little bit um, um, empty on our homepages. But if you want to know anything about what's going on politically here in Europe, especially in Central Europe, feel free to write us an email whenever you want. Feel free to write me a comment on Twitter. I try to answer the comments as much as I can. 
And I, I, I hope that we will see each other in person. Whenever you come to Vienna, feel free to reach out. Vienna is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Everyone right. really there can confirm this. All right, Alexander Sugar, thank you so much, brother, for joining us. We hope to have you back soon, okay? And we'll mix it up here thank again you. at the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things, download the app, share it with your friends, follow Joe and I on social media, Frontline TV, Frontline TV on YouTube. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.